Section thirty six of the Red and the Black, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter thirty six Sad Details. Do not expect any weakness on my part. I have avenged myself. I have deserved death, and here I am. Pray for my soul. Schietler. Julien remained motionless. He saw nothing more. When he recovered himself a little, he noticed all the faithful rushing from the church. The priest had left the altar. Julien started fairly slowly to follow some women who were going away with loud screams. A woman who was trying to get away more quickly than the others pushed him roughly. He fell. His feet got entangled with a chair, knocked over by the crowd. When he got up, he felt his neck gripped. A gendarme in full uniform was arresting him. Julien tried mechanically to have recourse to his little pistol, but a second gendarme pinioned his arms. He was taken to the prison. They went into a room where irons were put on his hands. He was left alone. The door was doubly locked on him. All this was done very quickly, and he scarcely appreciated it at all. Yes, upon my word, all is over, he said aloud, as he recovered himself. Yes, the guillotine in a fortnight, or killing myself here. His reasoning did not go any further. His head felt as though it had been seized in some violent grip. He looked round to see if anyone was holding him. After some moments he fell into a deep sleep. Madame de Reynal was not mortally wounded. The first bullet had pierced her hat. The second had been fired as she was turning round. The bullet had struck her on the shoulder, and, astonishing to relate, had ricocheted from off the shoulder-bone, which it had, however, broken, against a gothic pillar from which it had loosened an enormous splinter of stone. When, after a long and painful bandaging, the solemn surgeon said to Madame de Reynal, I answer for your life as I would for my own, she was profoundly grieved. She had been sincerely desirous of death for a long time. The letter which she had written to Monsieur de la Mole, in accordance with the injunctions of her present confessor, had proved the final blow to a creature already weakened by an only too permanent unhappiness. This unhappiness was caused by Julien's absence, but she, for her own part, called it remorse. Her director, a young ecclesiastic who was both virtuous and enthusiastic, and had recently come to Dijon, made no mistake as to its nature. Dying in this way, though not by my own hand, is very far from being a sin, thought Madame de Reynal. God will perhaps forgive me for rejoicing over my death. She did not dare to add, and dying by Julien's hands puts a last touch on my happiness. She had scarcely been rid of the presence of the surgeon and of all the crowd of friends that had rushed to see her. Then she called her maid, Elisa. The jailer, she said to her with a violent blush, is a cruel man. He will doubtless ill-treat him, thinking to please me by doing so. I cannot bear that. Could you not go as though on your own account and give the jailer this little packet which contains some louis? 
you will tell him that religion forbids him to treat him badly above all he must not go and speak about the sending of this money it was this circumstance which we have just mentioned that julien had to thank for the humanity of the jailer of verrieres it was still the same monsieur norreau that ideal official whom he remembered as being so finely alarmed by monsieur appert's presence a judge appeared in the prison i occasioned death by premeditation said julien to him i bought the pistols and had them loaded at so-and-so's a gunsmith article thirteen forty two of the penal code is clear i deserve death and i expect it astonished at this kind of answer the judge started to multiply his questions with a view of the accused contradicting himself in his answers don't you see said julien to him with a smile that i am making myself out as guilty as you can possibly desire go away monsieur you will not fail to catch the quarry you are pursuing you will have the pleasure to condemn me spare me your presence i have some irksome duty to perform thought julien i must write to mademoiselle de la mole i have avenged myself he said to her unfortunately my name will appear in the papers and i shall not be able to escape from the world incognito i shall die in two months time my revenge was ghastly like the pain of being separated from you from this moment i forbid myself to write or pronounce your name never speak of me even to my son silence is the only way of honoring me to the ordinary commonplace man i shall represent a common assassin allow me the luxury of the truth at this supreme moment you will forget me this great catastrophe of which i advise you not to say a single word to a single living person will exhaust for several years to come all that romantic and unduly adventurous element which i have detected in your character you were intended by nature to live among the heroes of the middle ages exhibit their firm character let what has to happen take place in secret and without your being compromised you will assume a false name and you will confide in no one if you absolutely need a friend's help i bequeath the abbe pirard to you do not talk to anyone else particularly to the people of your own class the deluses the Kyluses. a year after my death marry monsieur de croisenois i command you as your husband do not write to me at all i shall not answer though in my view much less wicked than iago i am going to say like him from this time forth i never will speak word i shall never be seen to speak or write again you will have received my final words and my final expressions of adoration j s it was only after he had dispatched this letter and had recovered himself a little that julien felt for the first time extremely unhappy those momentous words i shall die meant the successive tearing out of his heart of each individual hope and ambition death in itself was not horrible in his eyes his whole life had been nothing but a long preparation for unhappiness and he had made a point of not losing sight of what is considered the greatest unhappiness of all come then he said to himself if i had to fight a duel in a couple of months with an expert duelist should i be weak enough to think about it incessantly with panic in my soul 
he passed more than an hour in trying to analyze himself thoroughly on this score when he saw clear in his own soul and the truth appeared before his eyes with as much definiteness as one of the pillars of his prison he thought about remorse why should i have any i have been atrociously injured i have killed i deserve death but that is all i die after having squared my account with humanity i do not leave any obligation unfulfilled i owe nothing to anybody there is nothing shameful about my death except the instrument of it that alone it is true is simply sufficient to disgrace me in the eyes of the bourgeois of verrieres but from the intellectual standpoint what could be more contemptible than they i have one means of winning their consideration by flinging pieces of gold to the people as i go to the scaffold if my memory is linked with the idea of gold they will always look upon it as resplendent after this chain of reasoning which after a minute's reflection seemed to him self-evident julien said to himself i have nothing left to do in the world and fell into a deep sleep about nine o'clock in the evening the jailer woke him up as he brought him his supper what are they saying in verrieres monsieur julien the oath which i took before the crucifix in the royal courtyard on the day when i was installed in my place obliges me to silence he was silent but remained julien was amused by the sight of this vulgar hypocrisy i must make him he thought wait a long time for the five francs which he wants to sell his conscience for when the jailer saw him finish his meal without making any attempt to corrupt him he said in a soft and perfidious voice the affection which i have for you monsieur julien compels me to speak although they say that it is contrary to the interests of justice because it may assist you in preparing your defence monsieur julien you are a good fellow at heart and you will be very glad to learn that madame de renal is better what she is not dead exclaimed julien beside himself what you know nothing said the jailer with a stupid air which soon turned into exultant cupidity it would be very proper monsieur for you to give something to the surgeon who so far as law and justice go ought not to have spoken but in order to please you monsieur i went to him and he told me everything anyway the wound is not mortal said julien to him impatiently you answer for it on your life the jailer who was a giant six feet tall was frightened and retired towards the door julien saw that he was adopting bad tactics for getting at the truth he sat down again and flung a napoleon to monsieur noiraud as the man's story proved to julien more and more conclusively that madame de renal's wound was not mortal he felt himself overcome by tears leave me he said brusquely the jailer obeyed scarcely had the door shut than julien exclaimed great god she is not dead and he fell on his knees shedding hot tears in this supreme moment he was a believer what mattered the hypocrisies of the priests could they abate one whit of the truth and sublimity of the idea of god it was only then that julien began to repent of the crime that he had committed by a coincidence which prevented him falling into despair it was only at the present moment that the condition of physical irritation and semi-madness in which he had been plunged since his departure from paris for verrieres 
came to an end. His tears had a generous source. He had no doubt about the condemnation which awaited him. So she will live, he said to himself. She will live to forgive me and love me. Very late the next morning, the jailer woke him up and said, You must have a famous spirit, Monsieur Julien. I have come in twice, but I did not want to wake you up. Here are two bottles of excellent wine, which our curé, Monsieur Maslon, has sent you. What? Is the scoundrel still here? said Julien. Yes, monsieur, said the jailer, lowering his voice. But do not talk so loud. It may do you harm. Julien laughed heartily. At the stage I have reached, my friend, you alone can do me harm in the event of your ceasing to be kind and tender. You will be well paid, said Julien, changing his tone and reverting to his imperious manner. This manner was immediately justified by the gift of a piece of money. Monsieur Noiraud related again, with the greatest detail, everything he had learned about Madame de Reynal, but he did not make any mention of Mademoiselle Elisa's visit. The man was as base and servile as it was possible to be. An idea crossed Julien's mind. This kind of misshapen giant cannot earn more than three or four hundred francs, for his prison is not at all full. I can guarantee him ten thousand francs if he will escape with me to Switzerland. The difficulty will be in persuading him of my good faith. The idea of the long conversation he would need to have with so vile a person filled Julien with disgust. He thought of something else. In the evening the time had passed. A post-chaise had come to pick him up at midnight. He was very pleased with his travelling companions, the gendarmes. When he arrived at the prison of Besançon in the morning, they were kind enough to place him in the upper story of a Gothic turret. He judged the architecture to be of the beginning of the 14th century. He admired its fascinating grace and lightness. Through a narrow space between two walls, beyond the deep court, there opened a superb vista. On the following day, there was an interrogation, after which he was left in peace for several days. His soul was calm. He found his affair a perfectly simple one. I meant to kill. I deserved to be killed. His thoughts did not linger any further over this line of reasoning. As for the sentence, the disagreeableness of appearing in public, the defence, he considered all this as slight embarrassment, irksome formalities which it would be time enough to consider on the actual day. The actual moment of death did not seize hold of his mind, either. I will think about it after the sentence. Life was no longer boring. He was envisaging everything from a new point of view. He had no longer any ambition. He rarely thought about Mademoiselle de la Mole. His passion of remorse engrossed him a great deal and often conjured up the image of Madame de Reynal, particularly during the silence of the night, which in this high turret was only disturbed by the song of the osprey. He thanked heaven that he had not inflicted a mortal wound. Astonishing, he said to himself, I thought that she had destroyed my future happiness for ever by her letter to Monsieur de la Mole, and here I am, less than a fortnight after the date of that letter, not giving a single thought to all the things that engrossed me then. 
an income of two or three thousand francs on which to live quietly in a mountain district like Vergy. I was happy then. I did not realize my happiness. At other moments he would jump up from his chair. If I had mortally wounded Madame de Renal, I would have killed myself. I need to feel certain of that so as not to horrify myself. Kill myself? That's the great question, he said to himself. Oh, those judges, those fiends of red tape, who would hang their best citizen in order to win the cross. At any rate, I should escape from their control and from the bad French of their insults, which the local paper will call eloquence. I still have five or six weeks, more or less, to live. Kill myself. No, not for a minute, he said to himself after some days. Napoleon went on living. Besides, I find life pleasant. This place is quiet. I am not troubled with bores, he added with a smile, and he began to make out a list of the books which he wanted to order from Paris. End of chapter 36